0: This podcast is brought to you by Benjamin, a workflow automation engine that allows advisors to focus on their clients rather than data management. Learn more at getbenjamin.com.
1: Find, find your group and, and those have been huge, huge influences on how I've grown my practice and to where, how I've gotten to where I am today.
0: Joining me today on Bridging the Gap, Jared Tanimoto. Jared is the president at Ascent Wealth Advisors and a fellow dad to a little one running around the house. And Jared also was in my class of 40 under 40 with Investment News, just an incredible human being. This was a really fun conversation with Jared as we jumped right into his journey to starting his own RIA firm. We talked about the hurdles and unique aspects he has faced within the industry and the technology innovations he has and those that he will continue to utilize to grow his firm. Jared also opens up about reframing the conversation with the younger generation and prospective clients to lay out the clear vision to the end goal for his clients. This was just an insightful conversation. And what I really loved about it was Jared is in the throes of building a new firm, and we can learn a lot from him. So this week, you're going to enjoy Jared Tanemoto.
1: This is Bridging the Gap with your
0: host, Matt Reiner. Jared Tanamoto, welcome to Bridging the Gap. Thanks so much for taking time out of your day to join us. How have you been, my friend? Long
1: time, no talk. Hey, good to see you. Thanks for having me on, on the show. I've been pretty good. I'm out here in Southern California, good weather. Have a little one running around the house and everything's pretty good.
0: How, how old is your little one again? I, I, we were talking, I think, when they may have been born, I believe.
1: Yeah. She's two and a half now. So running around, got a, got her hands tied. So it's been a lot of fun watching her, her grow up and being able to work virtually and from home has been nice because I can just pop out of the office here and uh, go and hang out with her a little bit and then pop back in the office and get some work done.
0: I love that. I, I tell everybody. So my my oldest is three now, and then we have a, a seven month old. And um, I always said that you know COVID was great for per- personal reasons. The silver lining from that was was the reason it there was a positive out of it was because I was able to just to walk upstairs and see my oldest grow up. Right, like he was six months old when everything started, and. Um, I saw things that I never would have seen if I was in the office every day. And, you know, it's like if you got to find a silver lining in something as bad as what COVID was, that was it. So I can can appreciate that. And that's why I still like working from home sometimes. Today I'm in the office, but... I like to work from home so I can go up and see them. That's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm super excited about this episode. And congratulations, you were a 2021 Investment News 40 Under 40. I saw that they just announced the 2022 cohort. Yeah. So congratulations to you. I mean, you're really deserving of it, man. And I, I love to see it. I'm really stoked about this episode and conversation because you know you have experience in the industry but you've also you're building your own firm and you're like in the throes of it still so your insight of like how to go about building and starting and attracting the right clients and all the technology and everything is there so i'm really excited about getting into that but before we do I mean, how did you get to where you are today, right? How did you ultimately become a 40 under 40 investment news? How did you get in this industry? Was this something that, you know, from day one of your life, you're like, I want to go help people with their finances and financial planning. What led you to this industry?
1: So out of college, I was business economics. And I said, I have no idea what I'm going to do with this. And I kind of like the, my family had a financial planner and I guess she was more of just a broker, but that's kind of attracted me and just on campus was a career festival and most of the people on there were insurance companies recruiting. So I actually started, got started seven years with, with a bunch of the insurance broker dealers. And after quite some time in that industry, I just really hated the the sales aspect of it, having to hit quotas, push, term and whole life. And so that's all I really knew. And it was kind of a bubble and it, it's funny because Right now, I'm really involved with the Financial Planning Association out here in Orange County. I've been pretty active on the board, and I didn't know that even existed. And it was like right across the street from a lot of the firms where I used to work. And until I really started reaching out and going outside of that bubble, I feel like when you're in the industry, they kind of shield you off from the rest of what's out there. And that's when I started to learn, meet people. One thing led to another, made connections, and that's how I eventually broke away from being part of a insurance broker dealer to starting my own RA.
0: So let's talk about that, right? Because I think that there's a lot of people that listen to this show that either are in an RA or they may be in a broker dealer and thinking about breaking away. I'm curious, what were the challenges that you faced as you decided to make that leap, right? I mean, go back to kind of day zero or even pre-day zero as you're thinking through it. What were some of the challenges and the unique aspects of that decision First and foremost, and then also that you found and realized as you started to go out on your own, and you made that breakaway. What were some of the things and lessons learned in that in that time frame?
1: Sure. So I think a big one is just being able to find the right resources and connect with the right people. So right coming from the insurance industry, that's all your network. You don't really know anyone outside of your bubble, and that's one thing that took a really long time for me to develop. And I think now that I have a really strong community of like-minded advisors has really helped me. It helps me today still. In the beginning, I didn't have that. So I went out and went from knowing zero people outside of my own industry. And I think the hard part was finding resources on things to know. And, and I think that it's a lot better today. There's plenty of resources like what you're putting out there. But back in 2016, there weren't as many. So it was really difficult trying to search and really understand how to go and go about starting my own firm. And so I think if someone's looking to do so, connecting with people that kind of could point you in the right direction will save you tons and tons of time.
0: Yeah. And I know that you're a member of the XY Planning Network, I believe, or in some of these other organizations like FPA. I mean, those are some valuable resources that they were they were around in 16, but they weren't like as prevalent as they are now. And, right. and those with like mastermind groups and, and that type of stuff. That it has to be beneficial to your ability to network and learn, and I mean, talk to me a little bit about what that has meant to your success of breaking away and starting your own RIA firm.
1: Yep. So I'm in a handful XYPN, the advisors, growing his community, FPA, NAPA. and I'm, I think what what really helps, and they're across you know across the country. And what will really make them beneficial is being able to go in there and actually network with the people inside of the communities. And that's really, really where I drove the most value, not necessarily just the discounts or the resources they provide. I think those are great and they help out, but being able to utilize those and connect with people has kind of been the real key in driving value from those relationships.
0: Yeah. I mean, strength in numbers, right? And the community aspect of all of us are going through you know, similar as- similar things, similar aspects of our of our lives and our business. And so helping from there is really powerful. Now, let's talk about the establishment of your RIA, right? And some of the foundational elements that you had to put into place. What lessons did you learn? If you had to go back and do it again, right? And go back and set up your RIA and grow your book of business again, like we all have lessons we could learn, right? I mean, what, what would be like one of your, your top two or three lessons that you learned that if you could do it again, you would do maybe something a little bit differently?
1: Sure, so in the brainstorming phase, it's always really fun because there's all these really cool tools, shiny objects out there. I mean, if you are part of any of these associations or put your name on any kind of list, you get bombarded daily by tons of emails of these tech providers wanting to sell you their services. And while a lot of them are really, really great when you're starting out, I think a good thing to do would be to start very simple. Take, for example, Ken Fisher. They have one of the largest RAs out there. And if you look at their tech stack, it's pretty much a CRM, a portfolio management system, and a very, very watered down basic financial planning tool. And they've been able to grow and scale massively just with this very, very simple model. And Mm -hmm. so... I think I utilized too many tools in the beginning and I'm at the stage where I'm about to hire and what ran first thing that ran through the back of my mind was being able to have or having to be able to teach an employee how to use every single one of my tools is going to be very time consuming and especially at scale, having to repeat that process. So really understanding what's valuable and what's going to be the most helpful to me actually save time versus Just something that I thought I needed in order to be successful in my business. Usually that probably I didn't really need from the beginning. So really evaluating and and asking yourself, do I really need this tool? I think start very simple and scale up and add as you need, need those tools.
0: I love that. I mean, I think that, you know, I love that idea of like, what is the core tech stack, right? When I think of a core tech stack, the things you need is to your point, a CRM, a portfolio management system, a calendar email system, and a custodian, right? Let's get those four things first, because those are things that we need every day. And let's build the foundation. And and it's like the shiny object syndrome is real, right? We all love shiny objects. And I always say, you know, you know, to firms is that if you don't have, and especially as I've learned and talked with many firms over the years, is that if you think that the, everybody goes and gets the shiny object because they think it's going to solve all these problems for them. But if you don't know what your problems are, there's nothing to solve. And so it makes it right. difficult and you're always disappointed. And I always say, if you don't have defined processes and defined structures of how you are doing, like how are you doing onboarding? How are you doing scheduling? How are you serving your clients? in defining those... All these other tools don't make sense because you don't know where to fit them in. And so definition of process, definition of the foundation, and then building on top of that, and then plugging in where you can add value is a, is a huge benefit. I love that. And I think that many people struggle that early on. That's like any any venture, any new company. You're always trying new things. Just get to the do what you can do really great and then build on that from that standpoint. Right. Uh, so technology, let's talk about that, right? You talk about CRM, portfolio management system. There's so many technologies out there, right? You look at Kitsi's landscape map, and you know I think that there's like 400 companies on there now. I think it's so small, you need a magnifying glass. He actually, I think, should ship a magnifying glass to anybody that downloads it so that they can review everything that's on there. How do you stay up? I mean, innovation is happening in this space so quickly, how do you stay on top of it? Like what do you rely on to help guide you in your decisions now that you have some definition and foundation in your firm? What are what are you how are you staying on top of new technology trends and new technology tools? Right.
1: So I think as I start to integrate more tech tools and, and to back up a little bit, I'm I'm even though I, I give that advice, be be have a simple tech stack. I'm probably the opposite. I've, I'm an advisor who likes those shiny objects and I've tr- probably tried you know half of them out there. And to, to answer your question, I think as you grow your firm, it's harder to implement these. So now I take a lot more time in evaluating these products that and tools that come out. But how to stay up on top of them, I think it's just a mix of channels. Again, a lot of those communities that I'm in, advisors will be posting and sharing what works, what doesn't, success stories. I'm in a mastermind group. And so we, every, every quarter we talk about what tech stack they're using, what's changed, what they like about it, what they don't. So that really helps me evaluate because in the beginning when I didn't really have anyone to rely on to ask those questions, you know, it would be the, the trials or just me purchasing it and seeing if it actually worked. And I've been through so many that I can't even count anymore, but I ha- have been able to ask those questions really is a time saver. And so, I don't think we have a problem finding these tools because we get them in our inboxes, and and Kitsis puts them out, and they're all over the place. I think the harder part is evaluating them and and really understanding how it works into your system.
0: Yeah, and that, that, how does it work into your system, and how does it work into your process, and how does it help? Like, what does it mean to you specifically, as opposed to the basic use case? I think that's such a great great point. Shifting gears a little bit, you know the 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 young generation, the millennial Gen X, they've gotten a lot of buzz, right? The transition of transfer of wealth and, you know, the TikTok generation and all that type of stuff. The, the gen, I guess that'd be Gen Z maybe, but what, you know, how, how have you found to be successful of helping this generation? Because this generation, you know, we have to think about it. Like Millennials and Gen X, they, they lived through the Great Recession. We've had some really bumps along the way. You know, now we're going through, you know, a Bitcoin crisis and inflation and, you know, you know housing kind of, you know, interest rates going higher and they, they only knew 3% mortgage rates and now they're paying six and a quarter. You know, how how do you help this younger generation understand and overcome the psychological burden or hurdles of investing for a long time away? Invest sure. understanding that these come in ebb and flow. How because you do focus so much on the younger generation, how do you help them with that psychological aspect?
1: Sure. And that that's
0: the I
1: feel like the clients that I work, the younger ones, are different from maybe the masses out there because those who reach out to financial planner already have a different mindset. They're mm. they're already looking to get organized, create a plan to implement on. And so, ha- have you ever heard of like a, a digital detox or uh, the dopamine detoxes, where no. nowadays it's because of TikTok and Instagram. So I, I've been doing this 30-day digital detox where I'm, I try not to be on social media and, and you know, check my phone as much. And because of all the, these, you know, it's so easy to just pick up your phone, scroll and, and watch a bunch of TikTok or Instagram videos and immediately gives you a burst of dopamine. And so it's hard to, you know, stay very concentrated. And when you talk about that long-term time horizon, it's just like, oh, that's so far away. Most, I can imagine most you know, Gen Z, even millennials don't even think about, you know, that things that far out, but at least the ones that reach out and want to do planning have some sort of understanding. And I think in our initial phases, I think what really helps is uh, showing them a plan to get to that point in the future. I think a lot of my clients that want to work with me, usually they'll somewhat enjoy their jobs. And it's either, how do I get to a point where work could become optional when could be the earliest I could potentially retire? And when we start to lay the foundation of tracking their net worth, progress over time, it actually gets them excited and motivated to continue to save and, and do better for their overall financial wellness. So just a lot of coaching. I think the difference between my younger clients and older clients is more coaching and just understanding of, of you know little habits that could compound into something that is really good for them in the future. Good example yeah. is... Go ahead.
0: Yeah. No, keep going. Keep going. Sorry.
1: I was just going to throw out an example. So, for example, I have some clients who maybe don't have the the available cash flow to really save too much to maybe an after-tax account. But I say, hey, we'll just put on a really, really small automatic contribution. That gets you in the habit of actually saving and doing something very, very small. And as cash flow frees up or salary increases, there's bonuses, things change they could go ahead and increase that. But if we at least lay the foundations of how we are going to manage everything on a household level, I think that helps them get set in motion to create the right habits to save for the future.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and, and the idea of, you know, how do I get to a point where I don't have to work, right? Like it's a, I think that it's a free framing of the conversation as opposed to that we're saving for retirement. It's a reframing of what is their desires and helping to get to that point, which could be different than what traditionally is. But, and, and I love your point about, you know, the people that are reaching out to you, it's a little bit different than the masses because they're, they're taking an initiative, to reach out and do something about their financial situation. And, you know, you're, I know you're a big part of the FPA. FPA is a great advocate of, you know, financial planners, but it's also a matter of how do we help more people, right? How do we help more people? And I think I'm interested to know your perspective on how do we get to a point to where more people in the masses are actively reaching out to financial advisors, right? How do we get that, them to take that initiative? What is, what do you think is missing within financial literacy or within, education or within marketing whatever it may be to where we get more people why don't more people reach out to the financial advisor community in your mind
1: that's a really good question and and it uh, brings up a point so within our fpa chapter we've done a really our chapter's done a really amazing job at our pro bono efforts in terms of during the pandemic before we used to just do in person one-on-ones but what happened was we were forced to move to this online cal- calendar system where individuals could book one-on-one time with a handful of our FPA members, and the, the, the system would automatically schedule you with whoever has availability, and it was just a way where now we could go outside our bubble and really increase our capacity and offer a lar- much larger larger scale of being able to help people. But the funny thing was that over time, uh, and initially during COVID, we had a lot of demand, but that started to fade and we're actually just we're, we're we're giving out free advice and it's it there's no products to pitch there's no sales it's 100% you know just good one-on-one time with a financial planner and even with that offering people we still have a hard time getting people to come into the funnel to be able to you know spend time with financial planners and it, it's just it boggles my mind that here's this really awesome great free product but how do we get the message out to attract people to want to? It's almost like we should charge, so that way it seems more valuable. I'm not right. sure. That's a question we're still struggling with.
0: It, it's such a tough one, right? Because it's like it to us, it seems so like black and white. Like why wouldn't you reach out? But I think that there's this emotional. There's there's some emotional aspects. I mean, I, I talked about it in in my book that Dr. Cole Cash will see you now. Is that you know there's this emotional aspect of like shame and guilt of like shame of not knowing like what they're doing. Like they don't want to be looked at as and judged because of not knowing the right questions to ask, or maybe they haven't saved enough. They don't think that they saved enough, and they're comparing to their friend that is driving a Porsche, but that they're in five hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. Like they don't know that, but I think that that's a tough part, and it's a matter of like how do we change that 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 story, because it, it's such it's it's hurting us more than it's helping us, and there's so many great organizations out there ready to help. Right. You know, another que- another question I have is, in, I've been talking with a lot of marketers recently, and you know, they they a lot of them talk about us as advisors need to find our niche right? Whether it's millennials or whether it's retirees that are in a specific segment. I'm curious for in your situation, as you've grown your business, have you identified a niche that you're really focused on? And if if so, I'd love to know what that niche is. And if not, then I'd love to know how you've continued to grow in your business because I I know that firms can grow whether they have a niche or not. So I'd be curious on your side.
1: So I'm one of those firms that doesn't really have a niche and I've known from day one, everyone's been telling me you need to find a niche, you'll grow way, way faster. And it's even the group, the mastermind group I'm with, I've we've been with them. We've, we kind of all started our firms around the same time since tw- 2017. And it's funny because the ones that do have niches have just kind of over the last year or 2 we've seen massive, massive growth and scale. Um, and not to say that though, I think if you don't have a niche niche just being I'm a fee only planner and so there's quite enough demand for people just seeking out fee only planners that I've been able to keep myself busy but I think if I did have a niche and was able to specialize it would just streamline my process because now I'm not doing everything for my for a bunch of different clients i'm kind of those that are specializing are kind of just doing the same things over and over and over again where they could get their process even more streamlined. And more efficient. So I, I really do see the benefit of having a niche. And if you can't identify one and find one, and you're, you're trying to start a firm, I would highly recommend it. But that's coming from someone who doesn't have a niche. So
0: are you going to find a niche soon and go down that path? Or no, you stay nicheless? I think I might. Yeah, I'm, I'm I have a couple of mine. So okay, good.
1: If and, I, so right now, I think I'm at a point in my career where I would even say it's somewhat of a lifestyle practice where I'm a solo advisor and I love not having to be able to have employees to manage and, and I kind of pick and choose my schedule. And if I do want to grow, I know I'll have to bring on some employees and that comes with the expense of you know additional work and, and so kind of crosswords where I'm trying to decide what the direction of my firm is going to be, if I'm going to stay small or continue to grow and, and add scale to how I grow my firm.
0: It's it's an interesting time. And it's a it's a time where I think it's a it's a dilemma that a lot of firms go through and, and you make that decision. And there's really no right or wrong decision, which is a, a great thing. I'm I'm curious where you are right now. You know, as you sit here today how are you growing your firm? I, growth is like the biggest aspect of firms. They're always wondering like, how do I grow, blah, blah. How, you know, I, can, I can't I can grow fast enough. I need to grow more. That's always the challenge that's there. So I'm curious, how are you growing your book of business today, even if it's at a, a lifestyle pace? Like how do you grow your book of business?
1: I think the largest growth, at least in the past couple of years, has been the relationships I've made with, um, with, other professionals, so CPAs, attorneys, and those have brought in clients for myself. And then from that, just by being in the business for so long, I've received referrals from clients and that those it's kind of your traditional way. I've dabbled into blogging and, and other sources. And I would still say that my referral network is probably my strongest source. But yeah, that's, that's, a, that's always the toughest question when starting your firm is where, where am I going to get clients from?
0: So, and if we can if we can dig into that just for a second, then we'll, we'll wrap up because you got to get back to your your day and and your clients. You, a lot of people use referral networks like CPAs and estate attorneys, etc. And and there's some people that do it really well, and there's some people that just struggle with it. I'm I'm curious to when you look at that network and you've had success. What is some of those reasons or or, or aspects of the relationship that have led to success, right? If you could identify, because I'm sure you've had some that weren't successful, like all of us, but, you know, what, what's the difference between those that have been successful and those that haven't been successful when it comes to getting referrals from your, 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 your network?
1: Sure. I would say the biggest thing is a lot of these things just take time. I've, I've had some of these, of these relationships for years and it wasn't till 2 3 years i think just grit and time in the business is what really keeps people going i think there's a, there's a statistic that firms that don't reach 10 million in aum by like year i think it's 2 90% of those don't end up you know succeeding long term and so over time even if you don't have a niche or don't have a really good resource of bringing in clients i think it's just being able to stay in the game over time so having a lean firm and and consistency and being able to just stay the course has has kind of helped me i started in 2010 and it's been it's taken i started off with cold calling and i've tried pretty much every every type of marketing out there from yeah. seminars cold calling referrals so one of it is just being in the game for long enough but two for when it, to ask your question about referral networks is just treating them very well so sending thank you letters and, and connecting every once in a while and letting them know and checking in and letting them know how things are going on your end and how, how can you add value to their business? So the, the, you know, the hand that feeds you always want to treat it well.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's so good. It's just a matter of consistency. It's building a relationship and you've got to be authentic with that, right? You've got to, it's not an all take. It's a give, 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 and then you may get something in the end and you got to be authentic and really, really dedicate to that. Gosh, this has been great. I mean, we could continue on, but I I, I want to let you get back to it. I want to do two closing thoughts. So, um, you know, I, I'm a big life learner. I think that we all should be life learners. And one of the ways that I do it is these conversations, but I also do it via books and reading. I'd love to know what is a, a, a book that you've read that kind of is, is one of those books that you think everybody should read because it had such an impact on you or that you enjoyed it so much.
1: Sure. So this is one I'm almost through wrapping up, but it's Psycho-Cybernetics. Have you heard of this one? No. Let me, here, tell I- me about it. So this one is really popular in the marketing community, but it's kind of a somewhat of a classic in that, in that regards. And it's pretty old book, I think in the late eighties or nineties written by a plastic surgeon who was studying reasons why people have certain, I guess, reactions or responses to how, how they, their mindset changes after they go undergo plastic surgery or how some don't. And what are the kind of core causes? And so it's to me, it's kind of really been really, really eye opening on perspective in life. And a lot of those lead over, it's funny how th- those lead over to marketing, but how perception and how the way we think really, I, I'm not sh- sure where I'm going with this, but uh, how, how our thinking is so powerful and our mindset is super powerful.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like the the psychology of money. You know, I I, I met with a client recently, and I, I don't meet with many clients anymore, but I, I met with one recently, and they were trying to buy a house, and they were like, whether they 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 just couldn't psychologically get over using money in their Roth IRA, even though they never used the money in the Roth IRA to help them, because the interest rate was so much higher than what they were earning in their account in the Roth, and. They're like, well, what happens if I need it down the road? And I'm like, well, what happens if you need it now? Like, let's use it now. There's just a psychology aspect that is like so hard for people that they feel lesser of if they use that money than if they had it. And, you know, psychology, I love that. Like, it's such a different take of psychology. You know, Morgan Housel's Psychology of Money is phenomenal. Like any of, you know, Atomic Habits, like all this. Yeah, any of those are like really great books. And it's all about psychology. Like, And I'm reading uh, Mindset which is a book that another podcast guest has recommended. It's a great book. And we're just, our minds are powerful. And, and we got to be out cognizant of that. So and then the last question, which I get from Barron's conferences, because I, I, I have to give credit where credit's due is, um, what's one piece of actionable advice from our conversation today, if you had to find one piece that someone could go and take into action and be better tomorrow? What would, what, what would that one piece of actionable advice be for, for our listeners?
1: I like to take it back to kind of where our, our initial conversation was, it was our relationships and communities that we're involved with in our business, I think is plays huge, huge impact. So who you surround yourself with, whether it is, you know, the Financial Planning Association or XYP or NAPFAR, whatever those out there, find, find your group. And, and those have been huge, huge influences on how I've grown my practice and to where how I've gotten to where I am today.
0: I love that. I love that. Well, Jared, I mean, I've appreciated our relationship. We've had a relationship for years and I've I've appreciated that relationship. And I think that everybody takes something away from it. And to your point about community, we all need to stay together and continue to share ideas. So how can our listeners continue to follow you, stay in touch with you, learn from you going forward? What's the best way for the listeners to kind of keep following Jared Tanamoto?
1: I'm I'm on Twitter, Jared Tanimoto. That's my handle. And then my firm is Ascent Wealth Advisors. I have a website and I'm blog there. But if you want to reach out, feel free to DM me on Twitter, and I'd be
0: more than happy to have a chat. Love it. Jared, thanks so much for uh, taking time out of your busy day to, to spend it with us here on Bridging the Gap. Really great conversation. Really appreciate your insight. And, and best of luck as you continue to grow your firm.
1: Great chatting with you, Matt. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think.